Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Providence Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac, Associate Advisor at Providence. Joining me today is Tan Chin Yu, who is a team lead and a senior client advisor here at Providence. Hi Chin Yu. Hi, hi Isaac. Hi everyone. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to come down today. Um, today is our first video podcast, so thank you for being the uh, our first guest uh, using this format, and I hope it's uh, as exciting as it is for me. Yeah, very excited. Right, so today's topic is how should property fit into your overall investment portfolio? So you um, wrote this article with the same title, um, link is in the description of this podcast, um, and what prompted you to write this article? Well, okay, usually when I write articles, I would write on things that I get asked quite often by clients. So, I mean, if you want, you can read up, you know, all my different articles. So this whole property conversation, I guess, came about um, along the years, we do see quite a lot of clients asking about, okay, you know, what, what do I, how do I view property? And I think property is something that is, is pretty common. You know, people like property. There's a lot of people who buy properties. They like it for rental. They've seen good capital gains. or They've seen their friends, you know, gotten good returns from property. And... Um, I think a trigger point was one of my clients was asking me about this and I was, you know, usually I try to search for our, you know, Provident archives, whether we have any um, articles that talk about property and realised that, okay, actually we didn't really talk so much about it. So I wanted to write something that can um, express our views on how we view property. And I think to me, every asset class has its uses, you know, whether it's talking about cash, there's always pros and cons. I mean, even recently, I did an interview about gold. Uh, that's another topic. But, you know, gold is not, again, not something that Provident we recommend within the portfolios. But, well, if you have a very specific need and you see certain things that you want to achieve, then maybe some of this might be useful. Yeah. So that's a bit of a story why I decided to write about property. Right. So a lot of people actually always talk about how property that they bought um, double or triple in price you know, and they always um, have this impression that, you know, it's a, and, and it's, it's an asset class that is a sure win. Um, you know, so how much truth is there um, in this statement? I mean, empirically, you know, is it is it true that if you buy a property, you can expect it to double or triple or perform better than most assets, uh, you know, as, let's say as compared to global equity markets? Hmm. I think if you look at just property alone, there is some truth to it. it. It is true that in the past, you know, Singapore, while it's still developing, property prices have done pretty well. I mean, you ask your parents, I mean, I don't know about you, Isaac, whether, you know, the older generation that you speak to, they have seen actually good gains, you know, people talking about. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, for my parents, when they think about property, it's just something that, like, you know, if you can get it, yeah. um, you know, faster get it, you know, if you have to... Uh, take a mortgage for it just just faster secure one for yourself because uh, as long as you hold it for long enough you know you can expect the, the property price to increase la, at least mm. much much higher than inflation yeah and I mean we hear stories about last time property cost a lot lesser than now yeah. um, so it's true in a sense because property I mean end of the day it's still a hard asset and with you know inflation with um uh, economic development, higher demand in Singapore, it, it does go up. Um, but I guess why this specific appeal to property also that when people talk about property doubling in prices, uh, it's not untrue. So 
to give you an example, I've had conversations with friends who are in property and you know they say that well, you know, this property we expect it to double within the next 10 years. So when we think about it, it does sound very attractive. Uh, it does sound like an amazing return. But if we sort of strip it back down to what's an annualized return, it's probably hovering around seven plus percent. Mm. And to your question, you mentioned about you know how does it compare to global equities? Well, if you look at global equities, it is the same thing. You know, in fact, it has uh, gotten higher returns on an annualized basis. And if you talk about doubling, uh, you do see the same thing. Uh, it's also because the same principles apply. You have economic driver behind uh, global equities, and um, with increasing demand, you has you can see you know equity prices going up. So why do you think like um, people think that owning a property is better than owning, let's say, a portfolio of global equities? Is it because they don't see the prices uh, daily, for example, you know something that you can do with global equities? But um, let's say uh, a financial crisis hit, right? You wouldn't really see that price drop. Um, as compared to, let's say, you own a portfolio of equities. Yeah, I think definitely that point. But to me, the more important point that I feel why people like property is because people understand it. The things that people understand, it naturally, well, it makes sense to them. You know, you buy a property, you can see it, you can feel it, you know exactly what's the appeal and why would somebody buy it, you know, because somebody wants to stay in it. And then by renting out, you get that stream of income. So when people understand it, uh, it makes sense. Compared to uh, a, a, a portfolio of global equities, for example, um, well, if you take a step back, global equities, yes, actually it's the same thing. You know, you own businesses. Businesses have a business model. They sell goods and services to consumers and then rewarding shareholders. But it is harder to imagine. Yeah, it's harder to see, okay, I actually own a piece of Apple. I own a piece of McDonald's, they're selling burgers every day uh, compared to a property. Yeah, so why I think people have that perception is because um, property is something that you can see, you can touch, you know, you can live in it. As compared to global equities where, uh, you know, yes, you have ownership in those businesses. Um, however, it's something that you kind of see on an app, you know, or on statements, but it's not as tangible as property. So perhaps that's why people have this perception of properties. Yeah, I think it's definitely true. Uh, why people like property so much, uh, a big part of it is because people really understand it. They can see the property, they know how property prices you know, go up, and precisely because of demand. And they, when they rent out the property, they actually see income coming in. You know, They see the tenant actually, okay, I need this property, I need to stay with my family, I'm paying you a certain rental for it. Yeah, so it makes sense. While global equities, it actually makes sense as well because you are running a business, you sell goods and services, it's harder to imagine. It's harder to imagine that, well, I'm owning a piece of Apple that sells you know, iPhones, iPads, or McDonald's selling burgers every day and earning that uh, income and revenue and rewarding you as shareholders. Uh, you know, what most people will actually see is that price in the market. Yeah, prices go down, prices go up, and then they see, okay, why is my investment not doing well? And... Uh, there's a lot of other factors that factors into the price of equities. Yeah, so compared to properties, yeah, it's harder. So also the point of rental, you know, in Singapore, a lot of people, they want, or rather globally, everybody wants, uh, quote-unquote, passive income, right? Um, and property seems to be the most straightforward way you can do it. You know, you buy an asset, you rent it out, you know, you collect the income, 
you know, without doing uh, much, lah, right? So that looks pretty like a straightforward way to get passive income. So what do you think about this? I think it's one way. Definitely it's one way. Um, but of course, there are some considerations that, which I think I can probably talk about it later on. But <clears throat> it's also in consideration of what are the other alternatives. So you talk about income, you know, there are things from a very safe side of uh, the spectrum, which are bonds, for example. Uh, in fact, recently, you know, people are so excited about T-bills. Uh, T-bills are a sort of bond as well. You know, you basically lend money to the government and they promise to pay you that X percentage of uh, yield back, back yeah. to you. Yeah, so bonds is a form of income. Dividends is another form of income. Uh, property, rental is a form of income. Uh, but end of the day, it's trying to understand what are the drivers of this this uh, income, you know, this passive income. Uh, so there are always considerations. You know, earlier I mentioned about dividends, but not to say that you should use dividend stocks uh, as a form of income for your retirement, because there are other risks that you need to uh, factor in. Yeah. So what I would say is that. Uh, nothing wrong. There are a lot of people that uses it, but. To us is, is that the best way to generate that income? And what sort of risks uh, that you need to consider uh, in, in this whole equation uh, to give you the income? Yeah. So when we, when we talk about properties, you know, we always focus on the shining lights. You know, mm. We always hear about, um, you know, let's say Pinnacle, right? Pinnacle is a, it's quite near our office. Uh, people always talk about the returns that uh, Pinnacle give or the rental that is able to generate. Um, but you know, we always forget that not all properties do well as well. So um, there's always that risk as well. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, same whether it's property, whether it's stocks, which is why I brought up the whole idea of dividend stocks. Yeah. Uh, in the same way, dividend stocks, it uh, has a business model. And then as part of the profit, it pays out dividends. But of course, if that company doesn't do well, you know, the business model being cannibalized by competitors coming in, you know, being affected by certain events like COVID is one example. You know, suddenly all your retail malls uh, are not getting a lot of business. Then you see certain uh, part of this cash flow being affected. So same for property. Um, some do well. So your things that do well tend to go up the headlines. You know, your pinnacle, we see it every day. You know, uh, sometimes I, I walk past and I feel that, uh, wow, it's nice to stay here so close to the office, but you know, the, the prices are just crazy. Yeah. Uh, but there are also a lot of other properties that actually don't do well. And these are the things that you don't really see uh, out in the, the news. Right. So property also has done really well the past um, at least um, 10 to 15 years. I mean, uh, it's a period of really low interest rates. And now interest rates are starting to rise. Um, but we still see properties still holding up. Um, but, you know, those that has lived through the Asian financial crisis or the Great Financial Crisis will know that actually property prices, you know, even though you don't see it, um, the prices on a daily basis, uh, it can actually fall quite hard, quite steep as well. Yeah, so it's something important to to take note as well. Even though, um, you know, it seems like a very stable asset class, um, because the prices are just based on last transacted prices, you know. But it's something to be aware of that it's not, you know, if it's not really just a straight line up when it comes to property investing. Yeah. In fact, recently it's quite interesting in a sense that um, in Singapore, especially property prices are, are going a bit of a, a crazy run in the last few years. Despite the high interest rates, 
Uh, I don't know why. Uh, if you know, you can you can share. Um, but it's quite interesting that uh, you know government has put in certain cooling measures, and then uh, you have high interest rates. But then it's always being uh, aware that the reverse could happen, and um, there are certain periods where you know uh, the property prices might come down. And end of the day, property prices is really very de- dependent on demand. So the question is always, let's say in Singapore property uh, market, you know, the, where, where is the demand going to come from mm. in the future? Right, yeah. So, I mean, I just want to um, bring out that point because like, if you can see in countries like Canada or China, um, they also had decades of you know, really strong property growth. And uh, this year, um, you know, the past one year, we have seen that the declines can be quite steep. So, of course, you know, we never know. Um, Singapore property prices are still holding up, uh, but what we are trying to say is that, um, you know, it's not a sure win la, like what most people would, would think, or at least there would still be volatility, which is similar to equities. Yeah, in fact, I wanted to bring up the point of the regulatory risk as well, because since we are on the topic of interest rate rises, cooling measures, uh, property is an asset that the government has a lot of interest in because it's also important for people to have a roof over their mm. head. Uh, in fact, how you view property is number one, make sure you have your residential uh, residential property in place yeah. because the last thing I guess you want to is uh, worry about uh, whether you can continue paying your rental when you're retired and no longer have an income. Yeah, So uh, definitely the government has an interest to make sure that citizens are still able to afford a property and therefore you know, these cooling measures uh, need to come in uh, that it doesn't go uh, too crazy. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a political and uh, legislative factor as well uh, because property is uh, it's really such a social uh, issue mm. for people in Singapore. So the government could just come up with a new legislation that really impacts the prices uh, and it's something that we really can't uh, predict. Yeah. Lucky I own my own property already. Happy to see the prices go up, but well, it doesn't really affect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How about, how about yeah. you, Isaac? Uh, for myself, I've um, you know my 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 house is still in the process of being built, mm. uh, which you know is 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 good that I secured. But I'm just thinking, uh, for future generations, you know, this is. I mean, I feel that if prices keep going up, the same way that it's done, um, it's not sustainable. So, um, uh, perhaps something would be done. Uh, perhaps harsher measures might be implemented. Yeah. So uh, moving on to another um, point that I think property proponents always bring up is that when you invest in properties, you get to leverage, um, you get to leverage up your investment. So for example, um, for a one million dollar property, you know you can make a down payment of two hundred fifty k. Uh, you get a bank loan for the remaining amount, and technically you own the asset. And if let's say the asset uh, appreciates by 1%, technically you know you, you only uh, made a down payment of 250k. So you actually gain uh, quite a bit if you think about your capital outlay as the 250k. So what do you think about this? I think it's not wrong. Uh, it is true that because property is a hard asset, uh, you typically can get a higher loan compared to let's say you're going to invest in equities and you ask the bank to borrow you money to you know, uh, invest in equity markets. So it is true that, well, you can leverage higher because if all else fails, the, the bank can you know, take, take uh, ownership of your property if you, know, you, you default on your loan. 
but the thing is, uh, we all need to be conscious of the risk involved in taking uh, leverage as well. In investment, I always tell clients there's no free lunch. Yeah. Uh, there is always a trade-off. Yeah. So uh, if somebody tries to sell you something, uh, there's no free lunch. So same thing when it comes to leverage. Uh, yes, you can get higher returns if the you know property prices uh, works uh, in your favour. But uh, there could always be uh, the reverse. So in you know the past couple of years, we have seen uh, interest rates going up very high. Uh, I do have some clients who are quite worried about this whole property uh, loan, you know, interest rates going up, and then the, the concern is whether they can continue servicing uh, this amount of loan. Yeah, so that's why we always tell clients uh, to make sure that when you're taking on a loan, it needs to be sustainable. Give yourself some buffer in case uh, your interest rates go up, which actually uh, it was very low in the past, and you don't want to assume that you'll continue that way uh, in the future. Yeah, so. Uh, with leverage, if it goes up further, then actually to a point that it can actually hurt your returns. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Yeah. yeah. So I would say, um, yeah, don't 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 take on too much leverage uh, if you don't have the need to. Yeah. Um, compared to the US, I think Singapore we can't fix our mortgage all the way. I think in the US you can get like thirty year fixed. Um, you know, and then you can have very predictable um, amount that you have to pay every every month for your mortgage, for example. But in Singapore, we can see that uh, for people that locked in uh, rock-bottom interest rates at the time, like during COVID, that, that, that period, and now they have to uh, reprice their, their loan, right? And they're seeing that, oh, you know, it becomes like, let's say, um, 4%, right? The monthly payment increase is huge, you know? When, 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 um, so it's, it's really something that they have to consider, you know, when they leverage up yeah yeah so again yes leverage uh, property could give you higher returns than let's say an under leverage uh, global equities but you just want to be con uh, conscious that it's not free la. the returns right. is not free right okay so uh, anything else to be aware of you know when um, people are thinking of investing in property I think a few factors um, when investing in property you want to consider Actually, in any investment, uh, you want to consider what is this investment for? When do you need this investment? How flexible do you need uh, it to be? Because property, uh, you know, yes, it's nice to have. You can you know, show off a bit <laughs> where you own. You can own multiple properties. It, it feels good. Um, but the, one of the biggest downsides is uh, this concentration risk because you can't just buy you know, $10,000 invest in property. Uh, if you want to buy an actual unit, you have to sink in quite a big uh, sum of capital. So that's one. That means that you're not diversified. You know, a large chunk of your, your capital is not only in one single asset class, it's in fact in one single property. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big risk to me. Yeah. Then the second thing is that uh, it's, it's not flexible. So say you've got something, you know, that you need the money for, you can't say, mm. okay, I'm not going to liquidate um, It's not 10%. as liquid as... Uh you know, stocks yes. and bonds, for example. Yeah. So flexibility is one. Liquidity is actually the other that you pointed out. I, I can't just say tomorrow, you know, I want to sell my property and take out 10%. 10% to fund this, uh, say, medical needs. Yeah. So with property, you always really need to make sure it's really a long-term commitment. Yeah. yeah. Although equities, we always say that as well. Uh, it's just to make sure that when we are doing the investment and planning, we want to have a time horizon. 
but we are also aware that okay, you know, uh, things can come up as an emergency along the way, and if needed, uh, that's where there's this uh, liquidity and flexibility uh, that comes up. Yeah, so for investment properties beyond your residential property, like in that case, um, we also have to consider uh, certain tax implications as well. Yeah, yeah, tax as well. In fact, tax is a is a good one. Uh, it's actually not in my article. And I, I thought about this after I had another conversation with another client of mine. And she commented that actually after she has, you know, bought her investment property, she started renting out, she realised that, oh, my income tax is going up. Yeah, so that actually eats into the returns uh, even further. So, so that I thought that was a good point. Yeah. Okay, let's view property as an investment through the lens of our investment philosophy. So could you uh, evaluate how we, as a company, view property as an investment? Sure. Uh, do you want to share about investment philosophy? So our investment philosophy is uh, basically we have four pillars. Uh, economic contribution, uh, we have empirical evidence, implementation and practical considerations. So uh, for our listeners who are interested, you can actually uh, find an episode that we have done, yeah, season two, episode eight. So yeah, can you, um, you know, evaluate property using our, the lens of our investment philosophy? Yeah, so uh, this economic contribution as what Isaac mentioned, it's, uh, it's an important bit. So for us, when we evaluate investments, we always ask the question on where is this return coming from? Or what's the driver of this return? So this economic driver is very important for us because we don't want to rely on simply price action. Yeah. So what I mean by price action is things like, okay, uh, pure demand supply. So gold mm. is one example. Cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies. Well. You can even make money through FX, but you know, you you make money by just getting a you know a different price, selling a different different price later on. So economic driver means that there's actual economic activity behind it. So like I mentioned, globally diversified equities, businesses sell goods and services, make revenue, reward shareholders. For property, actually there is there is an actual economic activity because you are actually owning this tangible asset, and the value of property. Well, it does rise with inflation as well. So it's a bit of an inflation uh, hedge to a certain extent. Actually, same as equities. And uh, when you rent out, that, uh, that actually generates that income. So I think nothing wrong with that. Um, but when we come to the bit, you know, as what you mentioned earlier, the, the uh, implementation and practical considerations, you know, then uh, the, the, the points that I mentioned earlier about flexibility, concentration does come in. So for us, especially when we're investing for important goals like you know your retirement, your kids' education, things that you really don't want to compromise in the future, we always want to make sure that it is reliable. So having that reliability means that you need to be diversified. Yeah. So for single properties, again, yes, you can make money, but there's always a chance that you might get it wrong. Uh, we don't want to discount that. Uh, and of course, well, you can get it right, but you really need this to get it right. Uh, there's no, it's, it's hard to get a, a second chance in a sense that if it doesn't get right, then you know that big chunk of capital that you put in is significantly affected. Yeah. So I think uh, in relation to our our four pillar framework when assessing investments, that's a part that doesn't quite cut it uh, when we think about investments. So diversification, uh, that's something important. Uh, when we think about portfolios, we always want to buy into the entire world of equities. And I tend to compare sometimes single stocks uh, with single properties as well. 
because it's the same thing. Yes, economic driver is there. Yes, it can generate dividends, returns, but then you really don't want to just buy into one single company. Right, so Chin, you have talked about uh, economic contribution or economic drivers. Uh, you have talked about implementation and practical considerations. So what about empirical evidence? Okay, actually that's a good point. I, I didn't mention that earlier. So uh, empirical evidence is always about, okay, historically, what's the data telling us? You know, uh, well, Singapore is not really such a long uh, history, but we, we do have data on, you know, Singapore property prices, global property prices. Yeah. And there are certain studies that has been done to compare Singapore equity, you know, sorry, Singapore property prices versus global equities. And like I mentioned about it, it's true that, you know, broad markets, equity prices go up, property prices also go up. Uh, but when they compare the numbers, actually property doesn't go up as much. It's not as impressive. Yeah. So that's why I was trying to put up the point that, um, yes, while it's true that, you know, historically we have seen uh, certain returns coming from property as an asset class, uh, there are other alternatives that are better, more diversified. It also gives you the returns in a more robust way. And actually, again, when you look into empirical evidence, property prices is not that impressive. Yeah, because of having conversations with your friends and like, oh, my property doubled. But actually, when we look at the data uh, off the top of my head, um, you know, the S&P 500, even before the financial crisis, let's say just before the financial crisis, um, it's like 1,600 points. And today it's 4,300, 4,200 points, thereabouts. Um, you know, that's more than double, you know, um, and that's excluding dividends as well. So, um, but maybe it's just something that don't come out in conversations because when you actually have friends that own the property, they can say, wow, you know, I made this amount, I doubled, my property doubled, you know. Um, yeah, so maybe that's, that's, that's one reason why um, people have this very strong perception of properties, maybe over equities. Mm. And I, I also want to highlight the point for property lovers. I know there's a lot of property lovers that's watching this as well. That if you think about global equities, you do have exposure to property as an asset class. Because again, remember you own companies, company-owned buildings. And as property prices go up globally, not just Singapore, but you know elsewhere in the world, the asset value of companies also go up. There are also companies that have an exposure to actually property as a business. Of course, REITs is one asset class. I think recently, maybe not so recently, but people like REITs. Mm. Uh, same, I guess, same obsession with property, and they, again, they understand it. You know, uh, there are different kinds of REITs: some hospitality, some retail REITs. You, as a landlord, you know, you lend that space, and then you know, again, businesses will will pay you that that dividend. But remember, if you are globally diversified you also have property in your portfolio. So for us, that diversification is important that you not only want to have property, yes, it's important to own it as an asset class, but you also want to have other exposure. So in the world, you talk about uh, sectors, you know, you've got you know, things like your tech, which is really big today, uh, but that wasn't the case you know, many years ago. There was a time where oil and gas was big, banking is big, you know, you've got your utilities, uh, as well as, you know, so many other sectors. And again, you want this diversification. So in the future, because we never know what's the sort of asset class or what's the sector that would do well in the future, you want to make sure that you hold everything. Uh, since you brought up REITs, um, so REITs is actually quite liquid, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's traded. Um, but of course, there are other uh, risks to it. If you look at the recent performance of, let's say, um, even S REITs uh, in Singapore, um, 
because interest rates were, were going up and we see that REITs prices uh, has really plummeted. Whereas if you compare it with global equities, you know, of course, when interest rate went up, um, some companies like maybe small cap growth companies or those companies with don't have don't have much cash holdings, right? Uh, they will suffer because their cost of borrowing is higher. Uh, but we still see like other aspects of the market holding it, holding the market up. So we see that property um, or rather equity prices has not fallen as steeply as um, REITs, for example, because REITs is just concentrated in that one asset class. Whereas if let's say you have a globally diversified portfolio, um, higher interest rates um, historically has been quite good for value stocks, for example. So, you know, that, that can actually cushion a bit of the blow. Uh, whereas if you own... Uh, just reads, for example, you're just gonna really take the full brunt of the the volatility. Yeah, uh, reads has been quite painful, you know, this year because of the high interest rates. Yeah. Uh, again, you think of it as a business. Reads are heavily leveraged, so again, leverage when you're leveraged, you you get hurt by high interest yeah. rates. Okay, so that concludes our episode on how should property fit into your overall investment portfolio. So thank you so much, Chinyu, for taking the time today to come down to share your insights. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Isaac. I yeah. found it very fun and I hope it's uh, useful for uh, viewers and listeners as well. Yeah. Um, so to all our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode, our first video podcast. If you like this episode, follow us, follow our podcast and follow us on social media for similar contents. As always, thank you for listening and watching and I'll see you in the next episode. All analysis, views or opinions from interviews, recommendations and other information broadcasted, broadcasted or published herein are provided for general information purposes only. Information expressed does not take into account any specific situation, particular needs or objectives and should not be construed as specific advice or a recommendation. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal or tax professional before taking any action. Provident Limited does not accept any liability for any loss whatsoever arising from any of use of the information broadcasted, broadcasted or published herein. All contents and information contained herein may not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part by any means without prior written consent of Provident Limited.